welcome to another episode of the Three Mile Street Podcast. I am Brady. Coming at you again. It's been a while. It's been a month. Maybe a little more since I made one of these. So hopefully getting back in the swing of things. We finally got all of our crop in the ground. We got some rocks picked. Um, we farm corn and soybeans in the state of Minnesota. No wheat, no barley, no sugar beets. Corn and soybeans, that's what we're after. Starting off with uh, talking about a little bit of my recent, mm, about a month ago trip up to North Dakota, Devil's Lake area to hit some, uh, not post-spawn, but some, I'd say late spawn to post-spawn walleyes. Um, We targeted rivers and streams that had lots of current and that had decent levels of water. We got into some nice walleyes. And that's an update that my computer wants me to do. It can wait. We were after walleyes. That's, like I said, we, I used 3-8 ounce jigs with some yellow, gold, green swim baits. And I was on them. It was unbelievable. I was with a few people that weren't really giving it a try. And as soon as they switched to the colors and that 3 ounce jig, they were on them right there with me. It was unbelievable. If you are going to target that area next spring, definitely hit me up. I would love to give you some tips, or I'd love to go with, or if anyone's interested in coming with me next spring, we're going to start planning, not anytime soon, but this fall, we're going to definitely start thinking about those springtime walleyes. Another fishing-related item that I wanted to talk about was the Minnesota state record Lake Sturgeon. Unbelievable. 73 inches, 30 inch girth. Uh, I think it was it was a guy named Jack Burke out of Stillwater, Minnesota. And he was using a circle hook with night crawlers using 80 pound braided line. I don't, I think he was on the Rainy River. Don't quote me on that. But I believe it was on the rainy. I know there's some massive sturgeon on the rainy. If you follow my Instagram account, you would have seen I shared a photo of a Fish Addictions member with a giant sturgeon there a couple weeks ago. As of recently, I got out to a well-known honey hole in my area of the state. We, I went out with my father and brother. Um, we actually fished a tournament Saturday and didn't have much luck which is kind of frustrating because Friday I went out there to do some pre-fishing and had some wonderful luck we I caught a lot of really nice fish that would have definitely probably won us some money on Saturday but temperature dropped by about 30 degrees winds increased out of the opposite direction I didn't even check the pressure but I, I don't know what it was. Friday night hammered them. Saturday had no luck. So that's how fishing goes. But anyways, we um, later that night we went out to a honey hole. And we were out in the boat and fished right along shore with light-up bobbers and leeches. There's probably 20 other boats on the lake. And everyone was within about 20 yards of each other. And we were the first ones there. And people swarmed in around us. We didn't get out there till after sunset, so it was probably, I think, 8.30 that night. We stayed till midnight, and 
caught our we actually caught our limit, filled the live well. Live well was completely full of fish and water and it was twelve thirty at night and we wanted to get home. We had an early morning and we said, Hey, does anyone really want to clean fish? We all kinda of agreed no. All the fish were still swimming. We made sure we released one by one and all let's see, we had I think we had twelve in there. And every one of them swam away. So that was nice to see. We got rid of those, had a lot of fun. And there were still people fishing around us at 1 o'clock in the morning when we left. Tomorrow and the next day, I'm planning on taking my wife out to... Sh I thought she wanted to do some crappie fishing, but we are going to go after some walleyes. Probably one of the days, and hopefully crappies the next. I will keep you posted on how that goes. A couple other things I was going to talk about tonight were... Uh, let's see... Being it's spring here in Minnesota, since we're kind of a honey hole for ticks, I was going to talk a little bit about ticks, what type of ticks, what to do if you get one on you, how to remove it, and just some traits about the ticks. Most of the information I gathered was from the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, the typical life cycle consists of egg, larva, nymph, and adult. The immature larva and nymph stages are very similar to in the form of an adult, but are often smaller and often different in color. A larva has six legs, while nymphs and adults have eight legs. The tick feeds once in each stage before maturing onto the next stage, if that makes sense to you. Some soft ticks can feed more often than once per stage. The first type of tick I was going to talk about was the American dog tick, which is dark brown with whitish or yellowish markings. Um, basically didn't have a whole lot of information there. All ticks basically do the same thing. Some are just more common in certain areas and some like living in warmer areas, more moisture. The next tick I was going to talk about is called the black-legged tick formerly known to most people that I've been around is the deer tick. Growing up we've always had these on dogs um, and when we go through the woods we've always found these on us. Uh, they're pretty they're pretty uh, dangerous if you don't get to them right away you definitely want to get to them within you know a couple hours of you being in the woods or if, if they've been on your dog or some, some sort like that. You don't want them to start burrowing, getting their heads into the skin. The most common, uh, how would I say it? The scariest thing from ticks is probably the carrying effect of Lyme disease. Like I said, the black-legged tick, which most people I know is called the deer tick, um, is basically carried through the Midwest, mid-Atlantic, basically dead center of the United States are the most common spots for the deer tick. I guess one misconception is that all ticks have Lyme disease, which is not correct. Not all are infected with the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. Ticks become infected if they feed on animals. I would say mice, rats, other small mammals that run around that have the bacteria in them and once they bite into it, then they can get a Lyme disease. One crazy statistic that, that I pulled off the CDC website was that 
Um, two years ago, 95% of confirmed Lyme disease cases were reported from 14 states. And I was looking at a map on how how populated it is along the East Coast. I always thought that the eastern side of the United States is unbelievable. New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, um, Rhode Island, Maryland. The cases are so much higher out there than they are in the Midwest, which I thought was pretty crazy. I always thought that Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa were the hot spot. And we do have a lot of cases in the Midwest here, but the East Coast has got us beat. One other fact real quick before I move on is that 40% of all cases of Lyme disease happen in the month of June and throughout the U.S., the whole U.S., and and 45% happen in July, and the rest are basically pretty evenly spread throughout all the other months. Those two months are just so much higher than the rest. It's It's scary. So... Now's the time of the year where people just need to be careful. When you're out and about, wear the wear some higher socks. Wear, um, basically, wear clothing that you can identify ticks easily while you're out in the woods, so you can pick them off real quick. Uh, one thing I was going to go through is how to remove an attached tick, and this came out of um, the U of M as well. So I'll read what they have to say is. Um, Quick removal of embedded ticks is important as the risk of disease transmission increases the longer ticks are attached and biting. The best method for removing a feeding tick attached to an animal or human, also known as the host, is to grasp it as close as possible to the skin of the host with a tweezers or tissue paper. Be careful to avoid squeezing the abdomen. Gently yet firmly apply steady pressure on the tick until you pull it out. If you try to jerk or twist the tick out, you risk the mouth parts breaking off and remaining in the skin. Always clean out the wound with a good germicidal agent such as iodine to help prevent infection. The use of tape, alcohol, or Vaseline to cover the tick and cause it to voluntarily pull its mouth parts out of the skin are not effective. Ticks are unaffected by these methods. If there is any question as to whether the tick is a species that can potentially transmit disease, Save it by placing it in a small container to be identified later. And that's the, what the U of M recommends for removing a tick. Um, I like to get ticks before they have become embedded. That's probably the best time to try to get them out. Because half their body is not in your body infecting you. So if you do have one, um, I'd, I'd recommend researching before you just go ahead and start pulling and twisting and jerking and try to get it out. On to the next topic that I wanted to talk about now that it's spring and for outdoorsmen, wildlife enthusiasts, we all know that this is the time of the year where deer does are laying their fawns. Um, this is why when mature bucks are shot, they're usually called uh, a half. So a one and a half four and a half, five and a half, because they're born in the spring. By the time it becomes fall, they're not, by this time next year, they'll be one. So next fall, they'd be a year and a half. If that makes sense, that's, if, if you're curious, and that's why they get the half when 
you ask somebody how big their buck was, or you say how old was it, and they say, oh, it was, you know, it was a nice eight-pointer, it was three and a half. Well, it's correct, because they're born in the spring, and so when it comes to fall, during hunting season, they're in that halfway stage. I was just going to touch base on what the Washington State DNR has to say. I was reading this in the Outdoor News about fawns in the spring. And it says to reduce the risk of predators to reduce the risk of a predator locating her fawn, a doe seeks seclusion just prior to birth, trying to be less conspic- conspicuous by avoiding other deer. For the first few weeks of the fawn's life, the doe keeps the fawn hidden except for suckling bl- bouts. The doe may also feed and bed a considerable distance from the fawn's bedside. This way, even if a predator detects the doe, the fawn may still have a chance of avoiding detection. To further keep her fawn safe from predators, the doe consumes the fawn's urines and droppings to keep to help keep the fawn as scent-free as possible. The droppings provide the mother further nutrition at the time when is much needed. When not nursing, the fawn curls up on a bedside and remains motionless. Its white spots, its white spots blending in well with the sun-fleckled ground. Fawns lose their spots 90 to 120 days of age when they begin growing their winter coats. Every year, wildlife departments and wildlife rehabilitators receive calls about orphan fawns. Callers are told in the spring it is perfectly natural occurrence to come across a fawn that is seemingly by itself in the woods. The fawn is probably not alone. Its mother is nearby, aware and attentive. The advice to anyone encountering a fawn lying quietly alone in the woods is to leave it alone. Mother will be nearby and be taking care of her once you move away. If you have handled the fawn, rub an old towel in the grass and wipe the fawn down to remove any human scent. Using gloves, return the fawn to where you found. Fawns can often be returned to their mothers if taken back to where they are found within 8 hours. And that's just a little tidbit that the Washington DNR provided on the Outdoor News Channel um, talking about what to do if you do come across a fawn this spring. And the last thing I was going to talk about was, um, this is a podcast obviously, one of my favorite things to do when I'm at work fishing, sometimes hunting, going for a run, is to listen to other podcasts. And there's three podcast. I'll go to, I'm going to go with two podcasts that I've been listening to. Um, the first one I'll talk about very quickly is The Armchair Expert with, um, you might know who it is, but Dax Shepard. He's a actor in Hollywood. Uh, my first movie that I saw him on was um, Without a Paddle, which I absolutely love that movie. I thought it was hilarious. And if you want to find and t- or listen to somebody that's just down to earth, it's called The Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, and it's hilarious. He has all sorts of guests, and they talk about the most random stuff, and it makes time go by so fast. But the second one that I really wanted to get to was, or is, the Meat Eater Podcast with Steve Rinella. Unbelievable. If you want to listen to um, stories or... Hunts that you can't even dream of. The he deals with the most interesting people in the world. Hunting technique, hunting techniques that 
you would never even think of. He talks about he talks about parts of animals that you can eat, you can't eat. He talks about plants you can and can't eat. He talks about places all around the world that he's hunted or fish and he talks about the people there he talks about the culture he talks about ongoing issues in America he seems so down to earth and I would love to meet him someday if you get a chance check out Meat Eater Podcast with Steve Rennell he does also have a show on Netflix called uh, I believe it's just called Meat Eater and if you get a chance check that out check out his podcast I'm going to wrap this up. I'm having myself a Shell's Dark American Dark Lager beer. It's called Dark. If you ever heard of Shell's Brewery in New Ulm, Minnesota, I highly recommend it. And my my favorite beer that they make is called Dark. It's an American Dark Lager. And that's what I'm enjoying tonight. I hope you have a blessed weekend. Um, We're going to be out in the boat maybe picking a few rocks in the field when we get a chance. Uh, I don't think I actually got the bow out today. I'm uh, going to sh- fling some arrows this weekend, you know, get dialed in. To those of you that are out in the lake, stay safe and good luck to you. <laughs>